Uh, we have arrived at the centre of Mark's Gospel, the watershed uh, that divides it into uh, two parts. Um, when I was driving up to North Wales last weekend, uh, driving over Story Arms, on the summit of Story Arms, you're at the watershed. South is the Taff, flowing to our fair city, and then north, um, I can't remember the river, but you look uh, to Brecon, and that's the dividing line, the watershed. And the watershed in this gospel is the question that Jesus asked his disciples at a beautiful location called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this was a town uh, nestling at the foot of Mount Hermon, uh, and it was near the source of the Jordan River, so, so it must have been quite a place. And he asked them two questions. It's really the same question, but he first asked, who do people say that I am? His disciples have been with him now uh, for a long time, and uh, usually after a miracle, people would ask, who is this? Who is this man who can do these wonderful things? But now Jesus turns that question around and asks his disciples, who do they say that I am? And isn't that a relevant question to us today? Uh, who, who do people say Jesus is uh, in today's society? Uh, many people don't have a church background. And you've got some weird views. Uh, I don't know if somebody here is holding to such. Some people say that Jesus was a myth. Now, we can discount that uh, because there is historical evidence. But I can remember being brought up in a chapel in North Wales, and I was basically being told that Jesus was our example. If you would have asked me uh, as a boy in that chapel, who do you say Jesus is? The answer I would have given is he is a good teacher showing us how to get to heaven by following his example. Is there somebody here this morning who's thinking of Jesus in that way? You're, you're wrong. Uh, when we go to India, we talk to people about Jesus Christ, saying he's the son of God, and we ask them, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll nod their heads and say, yes, we do. And then they'll show us all their other gods that they put alongside Jesus. And so they do believe in Jesus as a God, but not as the God. Is there somebody here this morning who is thinking of Jesus along with other gods? Uh, what's that song by George Harrison? My sweet Lord, where you've got Jesus Christ and all these Eastern uh, religions all mixed together in one hodgepodge. Listen, Jesus Christ demands total commitment. We don't hear that word much, do we, today? Commitment. Well, what is it to become a Christian? It means to be committed to Jesus Christ. So different views as to who Jesus may be. But the question is the one that I want to ask you. Jesus asks his disciples, not just who do men say that I am? Verse 29, who do you say that I am? The word you there 
is emphatic. Listen, my friend, who do you say Jesus Christ is this morning? What's your answer? In, in a way, it doesn't matter what other people think, even people sitting next to you. What is your response to Jesus Christ? Christianity is a very personal thing. Now, Peter here gives the right answer, the only correct answer to who Jesus Christ is. This is a man who is committed. Now, what, what is the answer that, that he gives? Well, we know the words, don't we? I know it best in the authorised version. <laughs> Thou art the Christ. Can you say that this morning? You are the Christ. Now, all we need to do is ask, what does that mean? What, what does it mean? The Christ. Now, some people think Jesus Christ. Ah, Christ is his surname. So just as I am Wynne Hughes, uh, Hughes is my surname, Christ is Jesus' surname. But it's not a surname. It's a title, right? A title. And what it means, it came out in the verses I read at the beginning, it means the anointed one. Uh, so Peter and these other disciples were Jews, and they were familiar with the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, certain people were anointed with holy oil. They were poured uh, with oil. And... Uh, there were three offices that people were anointed into. Uh, and this is why the title Christ is important. A prophet, a priest, and a king. So what Jesus is to Peter is this. Peter says, you are the anointed one. You are the one that God has anointed as the greatest prophet, the highest priest, and the mightiest king. And if we are going to make that commitment to Jesus Christ that Peter is making here, we need to say, you are the priest, you are the prophet, you are the king. And I've made a mistake already, haven't I? You are my priest, you are my prophet, and you are my king. So let's look at all those offices and then we'll be finished the greatest prophets what, what's a prophet I'm not a prophet <laughs> a prophet is somebody who speaks the word of God now we can have preachers who are prophetic because there is a thus says the Lord power to their preaching but I am not in the mould of an Old Testament prophet. An Old Testament prophet would speak the very words of God. Now, we don't have a prophet anymore. And when people heard Jesus preach, they noticed that there was some authority upon the word that he gave. Unlike the religious leaders of the day, uh, who were just professionals, uh, they just said uh, what others said about the word. Jesus came with uh, an authority that was prophetic. But Peter isn't saying, Jesus of Nazareth, you are a prophet, like one of the other prophets. You see, people were saying, some say he's Elijah, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. 
there were prophecies about Elijah coming back. Others said he was John the Baptist, according to Jesus, the greatest in all the line of prophets. But Peter says, you're not just a prophet. You are the final prophet. Can I ask you, do you see Jesus in that way? Jesus Christ isn't just giving the word of God. He is the word of God. Have you seen it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you want to know God, you don't just listen to the words of Jesus Christ. You look at Jesus Christ. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. C.S. Lewis, um, there's a lovely story of C.S. Lewis seeing this for the first time. He said, I was driven to Whipsnade. Do you know what Whipsnade is? It's a safari park today. In C.S. Lewis' day, I think it was a zoo. I was driven to Whipsnade one Sunday morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? Yet, I did not exactly spend the journey thinking about it. Or in a great emotion. It was more like when you wake up after a long sleep, still lying in bed, but you just become aware that you're awake. Just a gradual dawning. Like me this morning, I don't get out of bed all rejoicing that I'm awake. It's just this gradual realisation that one has awoken. (laughs) You see, what I'm trying to say is this. You don't have to have uh, lightning from heaven making you see all of a sudden that Jesus is the Son of God. That can happen to you. But it might be just a gradual awareness. I'll tell you my little experience. I'm not comparing myself to C.S. Lewis. I remember going to a Christian Union meeting in Aberystwyth, and I can say at the start of that meeting, I did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And by the end of the meeting, I knew I was a lost soul and that Jesus Christ was God's Son who'd come to save me. That's all. So Jesus is the prophet. There's no one else. Um, There's a famous song, isn't there, from my childhood in the 80s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, when you see Jesus as the final word of God, you can't say that. You can say, oh, I want to experience his grace. But you can't say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have found what I'm looking for. He is the answer. He is the alpha and the omega and everything in between. Oh, I want to know him now. But I have found the Messiah. Oh, may somebody this morning have it dawned upon them that Jesus is the Son of God, the prophets. And then the second office, a priest. A priest. Jesus is the high priest. Now, what's a priest? Um, Some of our Iranian uh, brethren, uh, some of them call me a priest. And I want to tell you I'm not a priest. 
Sorry to disappoint. I'm not a priest. A priest is somebody who represents you before God, who speaks up for you, who may even sacrifice for your sins. In some churches, instead of a communion table, they'll have an altar at the front. And that's where the priest stands. We don't believe in that. That's why we have a simple chapel building. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the priests were every day offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. It must have been a bloody business. All that blood flowing from the wounds of the lambs that were slain. But there was a problem. The priest himself was a sinner, right? How can a man who is fallen represent me who's a sinner before a holy God? I can't be your priest because I'm just like you. I'm in the same position as you are. We're all in need of forgiveness. And there was another problem. The priest died eventually. (laughs) It comes to us all. (laughs) And they had to be replaced. It was useless. Do you know what Peter, I don't think Peter quite saw it here as clearly as later on, but what Peter's beginning to realise is, this is the priest. Do you you know, I'm not a priest. I'm the one pointing to the priest. And what's wonderful about Jesus Christ, listen to this, he's not just the priest offering the sacrifice, he's the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. As the greatest prophet, John the Baptist, was doing, I am doing now. He pointed to Jesus of Nazareth one day, this ordinary-looking man, and he said, look, there's the real Lamb of God that we've been waiting for, the one who can cleanse the sin of the whole world. And, oh, my friends, I want to give to you Jesus Christ this morning as the only priest. I don't want to be called a priest. I only want to introduce you to the great high priest himself, Jesus Christ. And in my prayer, I prayed a lot about his blood. Let me tell you why. It wasn't just any blood. It was the blood of the Son of God. It was the blood of a perfect human being. No one else has ever kept the law of God perfectly but Jesus of Nazareth. And it was the blood of one that was being sacrificed And he wasn't being sacrificed for his own sins because he didn't have any. But for you were sin and mine. You know, that's why I relish in the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood speaks of complete forgiveness, complete cleansing. One of the things I'm finding uh, is I'm discovering new hymns all the time. I wasn't brought up on English hymns. So I'm... Sometimes looking for hymns in our hymn book, and I'm discovering new hymns that you're all familiar with. And this is one hymn I've discovered recently. Oh, it's brilliant. No blood, no altar. Now, there's no altar. There's no altar in Jerusalem. The sacrifice is over. We're not performing sacrifices here. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more. The moment the lamb of God cried, it is finished on the cross. That was it. The work was done. Richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge, to fully wash our souls 
and cleanse the reddest stains. Is there anybody here this morning who's feeling dirty? You're feeling your sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can cleanse you. And you know what else he's doing? He not only offered the sacrifice and was the sacrifice on that cross, but he's alive now and he is speaking up for you and for me if you're in him. What do I mean by that? I mean this. We fail, don't we? Uh, have you heard of Hudson Taylor? One of the greatest missionaries ever. He was a missionary in China. And he met a younger Christian. And this younger Christian was so famous, I can't even remember his name. <laughs> but he wrote a book, The Apprenticeship of Faith, Edwin Orr. And Hudson Taylor promised to pray for Edwin Orr every day. And decades went by. And Hudson Taylor returned from China as an old man to this country, and he was very ill. And Edwin Orr visited him in a hospital. And he made the mistake of asking this frail elderly gentleman, who didn't have long left, did you keep your promise? Did you remember to pray for me every day? And a shadow came across Hudson Taylor's face. He said, I'm sorry. There were some days when I was so ill with pain that I couldn't. But most days I did. Listen, when we can't pray, there's somebody in heaven who can pray for us. You sometimes ask me, pray for me. You ask me, if you haven't come to believe in Jesus, you're seeking him, you're asking me to pray for you. I will pray for you, I will. But listen, isn't it better to have him praying for you? Isn't it? Do you know what becoming a Christian really is? It's asking Jesus to pray for you. Uh, what did that thief on the cross say to Jesus? All he said was, Lord, remember me. Lord, pray for me. Lord, save me. Uh, I was in my uh, old church last Sunday, and they've got a man looking after them who was a pastor, and he's a caretaker pastor now. Stuart Olliott is his name. And he was standing at the door when I arrived, because he was trying to get to know all the people. So that's why I'm trying to stand at the porch there. I'm trying to get to know you all. But I still don't know all your names. I'll still get it wrong. But Jesus, he knows your name. He knows your name. His name is engraven on his heart. And do you know what Stuart Elliot used to do in his old church in Liverpool? He used to go into the empty ch church building during the week... And he used to sit, each person would sit in, like some of you are doing, in their own pew. And Stuart would sit where that person would sit and would pray for them. And then he would work his way around the church, sitting where each member sat and prayed for them. Oh, no wonder he knew everybody. Listen, we've got somebody even better in heaven who's remembering. Don't you want somebody to be speaking up for you before God? Don't you want that? Oh, join Peter in saying, I believe you are the prophet. You are the priest. And then one more thing and I'll be done. He's the king. You know, in Jesus' day, they expected the promised Messiah to come and to rid them of the Roman tyranny and to be a great political leader. How disappointed they were that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Do you know what Jesus does? He's done something more important. He's got rid, not of the tyranny of some political group. Uh, I have to be careful. You can't tell what my political views are from this pulpit. Do you know what Jesus came to release us from? He came to release us from the tyranny of sin. He came to release us from the bondage of Satan. He came to deliver us from eternal hell. He came to do battle with the greatest enemy of all, death. And on that cross, he conquered them all. Praise his name. That's the kind of king we have in Jesus Christ. Don't you want such as your Lord? What is it to become a Christian? In the words of Paul to the Philippian jailer, it's to believe, not in Jesus, but in the Lord Jesus. It's simple trust in him that saves, but that simple trust bends the knee. Bends the knee. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. It must be either me or the world. Can you see the commitment here? Peter is saying, you are the only one. You are the prophets, the priest, and the king. And you are my prophets, priest, and king. I think the Lord Jesus chose on purpose to ask this question in Caesarea Philippi. Do you know what Caesarea Philippi is named after? In Wales, most places are named in a certain way for a reason. So Cardiff is uh, a corruption uh, of Caer, fort. Diff is a corruption of the Tav, the fort next to the Tav. That, that's why Cardiff is called Cardiff. Not that that's important, but it's important that Jesus in Caesarea Philippi asked this question because the name Caesarea Philippi is named after Herod Philip, the king at the time, Herod Philip, lived there. And it was given to Herod Philip by Caesar, Augustus Caesar. And Augustus was the first Roman emperor to be uh, called divine. Interesting. There was a big temple to Caesar in Caesarea Philippi. And do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, Peter, who's your king? Is it Caesar or is it me? Do you know the early Christians had to face that choice? Confess Caesar as God and you'll be free. I've often used this as an example. Uh, I'm not trying to be repetitive in order to turn you off, but you know when you've got a good song, you want to listen to it again and again so that the lyrics become part of you. Well, it's a bit like that with some things from church history. I want to know this off by heart. Uh, there was an elderly Christian called Polycarp. He was 86 years old. And he was arrested. And he was told, swear that Caesar is Lord and you'll be released. Curse the Christ and you'll go free. And do you know what he said? Very famous words. I don't quite know them off by heart. 86 years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? You threaten the fire that burns for an hour 
and then is quenched. But you know not of the fire of the judgment to come and the fire of the eternal punishments. Bring what you will. Bring it on, he said. And he died confessing Jesus his Lord. Where is the glory of Rome today? It's in ruins, isn't it? We can enjoy uh, some of the ruins. Where are the Caesars today? They are gone. King Jesus is still on the throne. And the most important question I can ask you this morning is, what is Jesus Christ to you? If you don't choose him, commit yourself to him as your prophet, priest, and king, you may have an easy life, but how long are we in this world for? Uh, I met up with an old student friend who was with me in Bible college. It was over 20 years ago we were in Bible college. You know, most of our lives is already behind us. We've only got a few decades left in, in this world. I don't know why they call it middle age. If, if it was middle age, you'd have to live to 100. We haven't got long left. And if you don't have Christ as your prophets, priest and king, you're facing eternal destruction. But if you choose Jesus Christ, if you bow the knee to him, you may have a harder life. But let me tell you, he has not let me down either. He's done me no wrong. Actually, in the difficulties, he's drawn near. And we can say, it is well with my soul. And then when we come to leave this world behind, we will go to be forever with the Lord. Oh, what a prospect. What do people say? about me who do they say that I am it doesn't matter who do you say that Jesus is your eternal destiny is influenced by the answer you give to that question for his namesake